welcome to another episode of the Seamless Connection podcast. Today, I'm thrilled to have with me Matt Runyon, who is spent the last two decades at Mount Sinai South Nassau, uh, specializing in healthcare IT, um, healthcare information technology operations, infrastructure service management, um, and basically making sure things are connected and where they need to be when they need to be. So Matt, pleasure to have you on the show with us. Uh, thank you very much. It's a pleasure being here. I know you spent, um, you know, a big chunk of your career in healthcare, but actually before that, I heard that you were uh, in the U.S. Army. Can you tell us a little bit about your time in the Army and then how you transitioned to healthcare? Uh, sure. It was a great time, great learning experience. I was in the, the United States Army. I was in the 82nd Airborne Division, so I used to jump out of airplanes. Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> I, how many jumps do you have? I have 40 jumps uh, on my manifest. And... Uh, you know, one of the one of the big things that, that I learned in the military was really about communication. Communication is, is the most in, important thing uh, from a military perspective. I served in Desert Storm and Desert Shield. So during the uh, it was deployed in Iraq for uh, for six and a half months, um, you know, learned to appreciate the little things in life, such as a tree or even a cloud, uh, because for most of six months, there was no trees and no clouds, uh, and when you, and even just running water. So, so some of the those little things, and I think that's really helped me in the crisis management piece of when everything, like during COVID, when everything is going on and you have to move and make decisions quickly, to stay calm and and to realize it really could be worse. Yeah, no, I mean, I can imagine a number of scenarios where, where it could be worse. You've probably seen worse, uh, you know, firsthand. Um, in your time in, in the Army, how did you work in the IT department or did you work in, uh, like, do, like, is that how you got introduced to your future career in, in healthcare, which was more on that side of things, on technology, on operations, on that kind of stuff? Well, I was actually a combat engineer, uh, which, you, you know, you learn to build bridges or, or blow things up, uh, but for the most part, I worked actually in the legal office, uh, the the JAG office for the um, for the eighty second Airborne Division, to where we were using computers, and they and they kind of fascinated me. Uh, you know, you got a touch of it in college, but I was in college, you know, uh, during a time where there was no ATM machine, uh, so you know you had to make sure you had money on you. Uh, but, uh, you know, so, so the military really had my first, uh, interest in computers and I'll, I'll never forget what really interested me was a couple of the, the attorneys in the office wanted to print something and there was one printer. And so back then you had to hook up, uh, you know, a parallel cable and a very long parallel cable and, and we found a hub, we hooked it up and, and everybody could print to a single printer. And, and it was kind of right there. It was like, no, this is something that, that's, that interests me, you know. Um, and then I, I started out on the help desk uh, for, uh, for a major electronics firm and started helping people, you know, from a, from a call center perspective and realized that, you know what, it, I should run this whole thing. Uh, and and if, I, if I ever get the opportunity to run it, I'm always going to remember who the customer is and, and how to help them and put it in terms of how they want it, support, not how I need to collect it. Mm 
Uh, and, and then I, you know, got into healthcare. Uh, I got a great opportunity to, to become a, a help desk manager in, in a healthcare setting and, and just loved it. Um, you know, really kind of learned how the hospital works from a workflow perspective, like from the ED and, and the integration engines and the different applications. And I kind of wrote my own little, I guess, video that I used to, I used to teach the help desk and the rest of IT of, you know, it's not just a server that's down, right? Or you just can't print to that printer. What that actually means, you know, in a, in a what I call a cubed environment, like an office environment, uh, you, you can just switch whatever printer you need to go to. Maybe a little extra walk, but you can do that. In, in, a, in a healthcare environment, you know, teaching that label printer, you know, that's the only one. You, you can't go two floors down and try to find a label printer to print something out or a printer on the floor. Uh, you know, they've, they've got to work. And so teaching that importance of what happens when it doesn't work, that you have to handwrite things, that it doesn't necessarily integrate and go into the EMR and if that application's down. And, and it really was, you know, a, a great thing for, for people who first come into healthcare to really understand what that means. Because a lot of people don't always start in healthcare. They come from a different industry. No, exactly. And it sounds like from your time in the military, when you were troubleshooting that printer in high demand all the way through to where you are today, um, you've definitely approached it from a place of innovation and focus on operational efficiencies and operational excellence, right? In terms of what's the best way we can do this, not just how do I do it, but what's the best way I can do this? Um, how did you come by that mindset in terms of, you know, a lot of people will try and solve the problem in front of them. And I know for you throughout your career, you've been looking for how do I solve this problem today, but not just for today, but also for the future. Uh, some, some great leaders in the military, uh, you know, uh, our commanding officer always said, anything is possible and you can accomplish anything if you put your mind to it and you look at different ways. Uh, and a, and a, a vice president that I had at an electronics company who said, the biggest mistake companies make is that when someone comes into management or comes into, even as an analyst, an engineer, doesn't matter what they are, and they ask, why do you do something some, a certain way? The, the most common answer is, well, we've always done it that way. Mm -hmm. And he said, challenge that. Understand why it's being done that way. And see if it can be changed or it can be modified. Or is that the best way to do it? And just a, just a quick story was I ran the, the call center for uh, their 800 number. And customer service and customer relations was part of the department. And, it, and if someone had a TV that needed to be replaced, it would take three days before that TV could get shipped out to the person for them to, to replace it. And I never understood that. So I asked our customer relations rep and I said, well, why does it take three days to do that? Oh, I don't know. It, this is how we always did it. And I go, well, how do you actually do it? And so he printed something out, signed it, put it in a, one of those inner office envelopes, went to the building next door. Uh, I went over next door and I said, what do you do with this? And the, the lady there said, I don't know. I, I don't do anything with it. I just readdress it back to who sent it to me. And, uh, and then he does whatever he needs to do with it. And I was like, so you, how long is this? For years, right? And it was like, 
She thought he needed to send it over. He thought that she needed to log something and send it back to him. And so I said to her, I go, well, if you never get this again, does it affect anything? And she goes, that would be great. It just makes it less things that someone sends to me. So he could order it right away the moment he puts it in the system. Yes. And so he turned it from three days down to an immediate uh, you know, swap out and shipping, uh, which, which made the customer happy, made everybody happy because there was all this extra work. But it's a great example of you know, tell people when you, when you go someplace or if you just want to know uh, why something is, ask, follow it from beginning to end. And, and, you know, a lot of that is where the, you know, innovation comes in, in regards to there's a better way to do it. So let's do it. No, let's do it that way. That's fantastic. Um, you spent the last, you know, few decades of your career here at uh, Mount Sinai, South Nassau, and you've made a lot of impacts. You made a lot of, uh, to be honest, I, I spent it at several hospitals. Okay. The, the last five, last five years I've been at Mount Sinai. Fantastic. So what were the other hospitals in the system you've worked at? Um, Brookdale Hospital, which is part of One Brooklyn Health, Montefiore uh, Hospital, and with uh, Northwell uh, Hospital on Long Island, which at the time was called uh, North Shore LIJ. Got it. Um, I guess my question more broadly is in, in thinking about your career and what you're um, most excited about in term and, and proud of as an impact and the innovation um, that you've done for the system and, and for your peers in those roles. Um, is there a moment or a project that truly encapsulates the impact of your work on healthcare or something that you're really proud of in, in that impact that you've made? Uh, yes, and, and it would be bringing mobility to the clinicians. Uh, you know, it was during COVID, you know, when I first started at, at Mount Sinai, it was, I was there a couple months and COVID happened. Uh, and so it was, what, what are we gonna do, right? Long Island, I'm on Long Island, uh, and the New York area was heavily hit by, by COVID and even PPE supplies. So at that time, the rooms weren't like, you didn't have COVID floors. You eventually moved into that direction. So you had med surge and you had COVID patients. You had a kind of a mix on every floor. And the demands of PPE were very, you know, there, there was a shortage of it. So you couldn't just put it on, go in, take it off, go into the next room. You know, so you're don and doffing a lot and utilizing a lot of PPE. So, so how, do we, how do we, you know, build in better communications and give the clinicians the capability of seeing into the room uh, and speaking to people in the room without actually having to enter the room? Uh, and so, and that's true from a telemetry perspective as well. So we implemented, we quickly implemented, it, it's a, a third-party company that does mobile heartbeat that uh, on a, a thousand phones and we made them share devices so you could badge them out and integrate with the EMR and it integrates with a lot of other applications, one of them being nurse call. And so uh, people in the room could press the nurse call button and communicate with the clinicians outside the room without having to always go into the room. And so this made it very, you know, well, what do you need? And they would go in if they needed something. A lot of time they found that it was just information that the patient that the patient wanted. And so in the past, you'd have to go in, don your PPE, go in, answer the question, come out, take it all off, and then you know go treat the rest of your your your, your patients. And you know, 
you had a lot of, you know, the ratio was, was high and, you know, the hospital was packed and you surged it to extra rooms. It worked really well from a communication perspective because it also gave the nurse manager and administration the ability, if you wanted to send a broadcast message, it's not the telephone game, right? Um, to where you tell shift one, you provide them information. Then when shift two comes in, uh, the, the new nurse manager or someone else gives them information. Shift three comes in, they give them information. Now you could broadcast that across all the phones, like a text, like a group text, to where as people check out the phones and sign in, they're all getting the same message. And they're all getting the same information. So if a new policy, which was coming out all the time, uh, or a new procedure that was coming out all the time, uh, it, you could blast it to the entire hospital and all the clinical staff, including the physicians, at a single, a single time so everybody had the same information. You weren't printing out, posting on the bulletin board and go, make sure you go check that new process and procedure. You could just, you could just send it out. So it really, it, you know, it, it was, while it was a very trying time, I always say that COVID advanced IT so far from a clinical perspective in, in virtual, uh, virtual care, in uh, communication, in utilizing mobility, uh, and now that you have that mobility in, in all the clinicians' hands, now you could do all kinds of stuff, like what we did with ServiceNow. What do you do with ServiceNow? Uh, so, so ServiceNow, when, when you talk to clinicians, right? And I, I said at the very beginning that I'm a, I said, if I ever ran this thing, I would understand what the customer wanted, not what IT wants to collect. And so when you talk to the clinicians, the, the, the biggest challenge is, is they don't necessarily want to call the support desk understandable, right? What's your name? What's your employee number? I got to validate who you are. What's your problem? You know, right. And, and the, and the usual, the response is I'm having a problem printing or I'm having a problem with this. Wow. The, the battery keeps draining or the drawer is broken. And the person goes through and validates you and then says, okay, what did you call about? Well, you just told me, right. And so it get, it can be frustrating. Meanwhile, alarms are going off in rooms you have nurse call going on. So how, So we asked them, how do you want to report your issues? And a lot of times, even with the biomed issues or the wows, they wouldn't report it until they didn't have any left, right? You know, mm -hmm. let me just go grab this one. Yeah. So we said, well, you have a mobile phone. Uh, the mobile phone, ServiceNow has a mobility, mobile app. The mobile app can, can use the phone to scan. All the WOWs, all the equipment, all the biomed devices have barcodes. So when I bring in all that data, model number, serial number, uh, you know, what, what is, what's on it, you know, is it a power cart, you know, every piece of information about that that's in the database into ServiceNow. So now all the clinician has to do is walk over to the device. If it's not working, press, oh, you know, open incident, it's a clinical device, it's a biomed device, or it's a WOW. Uh, WOW, is it the cart or the PC? It's the cart. Uh, camera opens up, take a picture of what's broken, click submit, and move on. Now, what that does, that sends a picture of what's wrong, gives all the information, serial number, model, make of the WOW, whether it's you know all the different manufacturers of WOWs. And 
our the third party company that services it now has a picture, has a serial number, has who manufactures it, and grabs the part off the shelf, dispatches and repairs it. So in the past, it was I dispatch, I have to look at it and determine what part I need. And then I go back to my warehouse and I come back the next day or the day after. And you, you turn one trip and you save multiple trips for right. repairing. Now you, you've not only reduced the frustration level of the user by simplifying the reporting process, but you've also made the actual repair and replacement process that much more efficient, which is fantastic. Yes, and, and, and from a from a informational perspective, you know, the, the biggest thing is, you know, clinicians will open up on, on a, an Alteris pump, on a ventilator, on, on whatever whatever piece of medical equipment that they want to report to biomed. Um, and so we built a, an integration to the biomed system as well. And so uh, the biggest thing about it was once you send the ticket, how do I know what the status is. You know, a lot of times it was, I have to place a phone call. I have to uh, send an email. I have to do all kinds of things to try to get the status. Well, through the ServiceNow mobile app um, and the service catalog, you can just go in and check the status. Of all the applications. You know, of, of what I just opened the ticket on. You know, and the nurse manager can see all the different ones. And, uh, you know, we've integrated Epic to ServiceNow. Uh, we're working with an, another hospital who did a great thing. In, in creating a, um, a, a landing page, because Epic and ServiceNow is incident only, you know, but you have a request and check status. So you create a landing page so you can do all three from within Epic. And so we're, we're building that out uh, to even further give the clinicians the capability of everything that they need you know, to move forward from a, from a technology perspective. What I love about this story, though, is that when people think about COVID and, and to your point earlier about COVID pushing forward telehealth, pushing forward IT, pushing forward, uh, you know, innovative um, technology adoptions, that all is true. But people forget about the reality on the ground of what happens when your cart breaks, what happens when your camera is broken, what happens when your microphone doesn't work, what happens when things aren't charging, everything that needs to functionally happen consistently for that virtual care workflow or the on, on-site, you know, on the ground workflow to function smoothly. Um, and it's, it's, it's so refreshing to see the details behind what actually keeps everything moving in a very seamless process. No, I think, I mean, it, I was always big on, on developing staff to say, listen, listen to what your customer wants, right? Understand their job, right? Uh, and understand what the impact is when they are impacted. And what's impacted is, is patient care. Um, and, and so you, you want to make, you know, they are, they are a true customer. Like I always like, I always kind of have fun with, with people when they first start in healthcare IT and I go, who's our customer? And they say, oh, the doctors, the nurses, the administration staff. And I'm like, nope, our customer is the patient. We provide the technology and tools for our doctors and clinicians to use to provide support and care to our customers. And when those don't work, we can't, it, it slows down that, that patient care. One of, um, one of the things that I've run into a lot, and you probably have too, is how do you balance the drive for this need for technological innovation with financial and operational realities of hospitals, especially hospitals today 
post COVID, there was a lot of financial hardships. We saw a lot of hospitals, um, you know, close or have to reduce services. Um, how did you do that? And how do you take that into account running a large healthcare IT department, um, especially in terms of budget management and cost reduction when exactly what you're saying, it is so critical to the seamless functioning of serving the patients, the ultimate customer. So there are really three things that I did. The, the first one is I, I looked at my existing tool sets and said, am I using 100% of what they can do? What is it that they can do that we're not utilizing? And then you, you made a list of all the things that you were licensed for, right, for a, a particular application. And you said, we're not using these six things. So what are we using for these six things? Because we are, oh, we're using these four or five applications to do that. So let's expand here and, and let's end the contract with the, the four or five other things that, that we're using. So we, we, we simplify our, our tool set. And then the moment, now since I'm using, I wanna use those four or five things that I'm licensed for but not using, I took that opportunity to renegotiate the contract. And so I wanna add, you know, there's gonna be some support on it. So let's renegotiate it. And you know what? It's a tough time. You know, hospitals are having, and, and a lot of times if you just ask your vendor that you're working with, right, they, they will work with you on giving you a better deal. They really will. And, and they'll be open to renegotiating because one is ultimately it's business. They want, to, they want you to stay as a customer. They want you to succeed uh, because eventually they may use you as a reference or whatever, but they really do understand. And so that was one thing of, of using, uh, you know, the, the different the different tools on it. The, the second thing was around small logos, right? Everybody likes to use the big names and there's a lot of great technology and a lot of great ideas out there. And a lot of times the small logos are people who used to work at the large logos. And so they really understand what what you want and they just want to get in and so they'll they'll give you a better pricing uh, and and better and better deals on it, you know, in in regards to that. And and then the third one was renegotiating contracts, just asking. So say, you know, listen, you, you guys are have been a great partner. Um, you know, what can we do to really uh, make it more financially, uh, you know, beneficial for for both of us? You know, I understand you're in business. You need to make money. Uh, but we need to have money to be able to pay you or you're not in business. And then we don't, we don't have what we need. So um, I have found that, you know, especially in, in, in healthcare and even outside healthcare, if you always have an honest and open relationship with your vendors, they'll, they'll work with you, uh, you know, and, and to treat them more as your partner than a vendor. And that, that's kind of how I like, like to look at things is we're in this together to provide better patient care. That is the right approach, I think, in terms of when I've seen different different approaches amongst different health systems, what you just highlighted is kind of your, your kind of key steps is the ones I've seen most successfully implemented for kind of a cohesive, ongoing, scalable program. So yeah, my, my mom used to always say, right, you know, uh, it never hurts to ask. Yeah, the, the exactly. worst thing you're going to hear is no, but you'll never, exactly. you'll never wonder. Yeah, right. If exactly. you get told the no, okay. <laughs> You asked, you know the answer, move on, figure something else out. <laughs> what do you want, uh, what do you expect or hope to see as the biggest advancement in healthcare, or if you want to focus on healthcare IT that, as well, 
um, over the next 10 years. Because there's lots of talk about AI, generative AI, clinical decision-making. There's lots of talk on different tools that are coming out that take advantage of that or otherwise. Um, there's advancements in surgery, surgery. there's advancements in um, clinical delivery and data and analytics. Um, so many areas that you've been um, exposed to. So I'd love to get your thoughts on what are you most excited about uh, and what do you think will be the biggest investment over the next 10 years? Well, I think it's definitely going to be AI. And I, and I think it's going to be re remote surgery from a teaching perspective. So, so Mount Sinai, if, if, if you go to their webpage and, and you look it up, they have the ability to where um, you, you see it in like, like the, the Mission Impossible movies and all the movies. So if someone puts on a pair of glasses and, and, and I can see different things, right? That exists today. They have the capability to where um, in, in small towns or, or small areas, you know, in, in third world countries that you could have a surgeon from the U.S. help participate with a surgeon that's, that's, that's remote in the sense of they can wear glasses and, and you can draw on a screen and say, here's where you want to make your incision. And it, it shows up on the body from, from what I'm looking at. And you can do things along those. It's a, it's a really great video that, that's out there on that. But AI in, in general, in, in both clinical decision, um, right, I, I have, I, I'm a father of seven, so I have two kids out of college, three kids currently in college, and two kids, uh, you know, writing papers with chat GPT. But, the, uh, <laughs> um, you know, it, to where just the, the catch-up time of a conversation. You know, if you join a major incident and you want to know what was done, right? Now you have the capability of of an AI to where it can it can give you a summary of everything that was done instead of stopping the call and going, "Hey, you know, what what's 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 happened?" right? What's what's been what's been done yet? And what do we still need to do? Things like that from a clinical perspective. Here are all the things that um, that are in the notes instead of reading all the notes. Here are the high high points of it, of of what's been done, so you can you can catch up faster. I think that is going to be tremendous, you know, and that's what's going to be going across, uh, you know, uh, the future. Um, it'll probably know that I want to have you know eggs and bacon tomorrow and order it from the local store and have it delivered, right? Um, you know, by just thinking it. So I, you know, I think AI is a big thing, and I, and I think you know the use of technology in VR uh, ties into AI is is really the the, the future of of how, how it's going to play out. No, I, I, I can definitely see lots of use applications, surgical fields or otherwise, um, but especially for training, that makes a lot of sense. How do you see yourself playing a role in that? Like, what are you excited to participate in um, on a personal basis? Uh, you know, creating, you know, thinking out of the box of other uses for it, right? You know, in in listening to the what people want, um, and really trying to trying to make that happen. I mean, one of the things that I I would loved was you you see all these hologram concerts, right? That they do. I, I think ABBA has one in, you know, in, <laughs> in England. That uh, and they're not really on stage. It's all it's all holograms. Is that with physicians? who could do rounds and be in the room and talking to the patient, but being someplace else, or even if they're on call, because I, you know, while 
you can reach a physician on call and, and they will call in and you can do virtual now, right? Through the phone or through the TV set. Um, having them almost there, right? And not really there, but where the patient thinks they're there. There's a comfort of talking someone face to face, you know, in person, so to speak. Um, but, you know, that would be something that, you know, you know, thinking things like that of saying, yeah. You know, that's amazing. I'm just, my brain's already racing thinking about all the, just the logistics that go into that from the, the device or whatever that's going to beam that doctor to the power source to how do they communicate if there's a glitch or what do you do when a patient freaks out because they're on a site cold and they see this specter appear in front of them and like from the clinical well, to the yeah, tech. I mean, you, you better warn them ahead of time, but you know, yeah, exactly. but, but you, you, all the technology almost already exists in the room, except for maybe the, the laser or whatever it is that, that you're going to use it. But you know, all your connectivity, cause you're already doing a lot of this stuff from a, from a virtual, from a virtual perspective with cameras in the room, all kinds of Bluetooth monitoring, you know, I mean, you, you have a, a lot of different capabilities that you know to me it doesn't seem like it's crazy yeah no i mean that's that's super exciting that's where we're, we're seeing to your point about having that the chip in your brain i think the first human had their first brain chip implanted i think last week um with one of the uh elon musk's uh new inventions so we'll see we'll see where that goes we might all have one in 10 years <laughs> um and i want to close i with, might remember I always... what my wife told me to do if i had one yeah. <laughs> I always like to close with asking somebody, um, my guests about their healthcare story, because I'm a firm believer that everybody has a healthcare story, something that um, really motivates them, really drives them, or really brought them into healthcare in the first place, um, whether it's for you or a family member. Do you have a healthcare story you're willing to share with us today? Sure. It's kind of funny, actually. But, uh, um, you know, when I was at, when I was at Northwell, um, I, I was one of the incident commanders for IT. Uh, for the overnight during when the hurricane was hitting, Hurricane Sandy. And so I, I was given a, a little bit of time in order to uh, go home, kind of tie everything down in the backyard so it wouldn't end up down the street. And it was really buggy. And so I, you know, I, I ran in the garage, I, I sprayed myself with bug spray, ran out there, tied everything up, and then ran back to the, to the hospital uh, to get ready for you know, the, the storm to hit uh, and, and get everything prepared. And I was there and someone said, Matt, you know, you look terrible. You're like as white as a ghost. And, you know, what's what's wrong? And I'm like, I don't know. I, you know, I, I ran home. Maybe I hadn't eaten. You know, I, I put bug spray on and, and I, you know, it, it was really buggy and maybe it's that. And then I, I get a phone call and, uh, and it was my wife and, and she was, you know, finishing up kind of what I, I had started and, and saw in the garage that I didn't actually use bug spray. I used a can of Raid wasp killer that I sprayed myself down. It does work, by the way, but it, I think it opens <laughs> you at the same time. So I kind of sat in the corner, drank a lot of water. They kept an eye on me. I was in the right place, right, you know, with everybody around. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget that, that, you know, um, while it does work, it's probably not a good idea. I don't recommend anybody <laughs> to try that. Use only as indicated. That's right. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today and uh, share your thoughts and your experiences and, and your stories with us. And I'm looking forward to uh, staying in touch and seeing seeing what you are going to be working on in these next 10 years, especially if you do do that virtual, uh, virtual physician routing. That sounds fantastic with the hologram. 
It'd be, it'd be fun. Thank you, Mina, you know, for your time as well. Um, and, you know, love doing this. So if uh, another topic comes up sometime, I'd, I'd love to do it again. Fantastic.